0: Welcome to the Fox Sports Florida Mime Heat Podcast. I'm your host, Sergio Fernandez, and joining me once again is longtime Sun Sentinel Heat reporter, Ira Winderman. How's it going, Ira?
1: It is going good, and uh, with the Heat back in the draft, it's getting busy again.
0: Right, right. And uh, speaking of the draft, I mean, they, they were able to secure the, the number 10 uh, selection, retain it, basically. Um, and, and now that they do have it, they're going to be in the draft. Of course, it's tradable to pick now, but... What are the Heat's biggest needs in the draft, and can they really address it with that number 10 selection?
1: You know, I think when you look at their biggest needs, I think they're kind of apparent. And that's the way they finished last season and the wing rotation. I mean, even if you look past Lou Eldang's potential free agency, the bottom line is on the wing depth chart, they were playing Tyler Johnson behind Dwayne Wade at shooting guard at times. And behind Lewell at small forward was Michael Beasley or Henry Walker. So I I think it's clear if you're saying what's what's the number one need for the Heat this offseason, it's clearly on the wing. It's wing depth. It's potentially a player who might step in for Dwayne Wade down the line. So it's someone at the two, it's someone at the three. And while this draft is not great at that position, it's more of a center point guard draft, which for the first time in years the Heat have covered – I still think there will be enough at number 10 because so many of the teams drafting ahead of the Heat are not looking in the same direction. I think they can find at least depth on the wing at, 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 at um, two or three, one of those positions, if not better.
0: And do you have maybe a, a draft prospect that would be the best fit for this team among those that have been mentioned?
1: You know, again, do I have a prospect? Sure. But I'm not sure that those prospects will last until the Heat. I mean, when you're looking at the the elite... I'm going to say wings in the draft. Certainly someone like Justice Winslow with his defensive bent would be a player that Pat Riley would absolutely love to have on his roster. Right. We know that he loves players from Duke, but I don't think he gets past really number six or number seven at the latest, if even that late. And then you sort of get into the waiting game. A guy like Stanley Johnson, Arizona, 6-7 forward, he's someone who probably is NBA ready enough to at least play in the back part of your rotation next season. Kelly Oubre, a raw type of prospect. Some people might say, hey, he's just another James Ennis, but he has sort of more of a, a pedigree than him. Sam Decker, we saw him make big shots for Wisconsin. Nice late, 6'9". We saw how he played in the NCAA tournament. Arguably the best shooter in the draft might be Devin Booker, the six six guard from mm-hmm. Kentucky. Yes, there's not a lot other in that package, but that's what development is about. So you could look at someone like that also, there are options on the wing. There definitely will be a wing available at number ten for Pat Riley to pick. What makes the draft fascinating is there might be better players at other positions. Where you have to, you know, do the old dreaded best available player. Mm-hmm. And if Frank Kaminsky is staring you in the face at number ten, and and is not drafted by then, you know that he's a player who has definitive skills that work in the NBA even though the Heat have nothing but power forwards and centers. That's what makes this whole process so interesting.
0: Right, right. And, um, you know, maybe because of injury concerns or or character issues, is there any chance that maybe one of the highly touted players falls in the draft and, and could be available for the Heat?
1: Yeah, I don't think so. When I put my mock draft together, I also wrote a list of prospects that I call, quote-unquote, out of reach. Mm-hmm. And I think when you consider in the draft, the top two centers, Carl Anthony Towns, Jaleel Okafor, in some order, are going to go one and two. The top point guards, D'Angelo Russell from Ohio State, would be a wonderful fit, and Emmanuel Moutier, who played in China last year from the Republic of Congo, grew up or spent time in Texas, I think those two were off the boards. Kristaps Porzingis, the seven-foot center from Latvia, who's been playing in Spain. People are comparing him to Dirk Nowitzki. I think he's off the board. And Mario Herzona. A guy who could dunk, Croatian 6-8 guard, a guy who could shoot three-pointers, I think he's going to be off the board also. Now, can the Heat move up? Can they make a trade? That's possible. Do guys slip at the last minute? Certainly. The overseas prospects, what if they don't have the right buyout and you have to wait another year? Teams might allow them to slip also. Look, every year there are players who slip. Sometimes the beauty of being somewhere at number 10 is you just wait to see who falls. And look at the Heat in two thousand two. They were sitting there at number ten. Didn't look like they were to get an elite player. Right. All of a sudden there were questions, injury concerns about Karan Butler. They came out fine. I think what number ten is, to be honest with you, is sort of a safety net position. That anyone who tumbles and tumbles and tumbles, number ten is there to catch them. It could be as simple as that.
0: Yeah, and and the heat and and by extension, Pat Riley, they're really known for taking chances on, on foreign players, but uh you know, is that is that changing now, that philosophy? Because I, I know that he always prefers, uh, you know, collegiate players.
1: Well, I think last year when you looked at the trading deadline and they traded away two future first-round picks in right. a like North Pole for Goran Rodgers, I think it says plenty about what they think about the international players. Right, and Zoran, I, too, I yeah. You know, I think Pat Riley showed even before the lottery where he stands when him and his staff went over to Spain and looked at Porzingis and looked at Arizona Mm -hmm. and looked at foreign players. I mean, when you have Pat Riley spending time in Spain, obviously he's not busy with the playoffs, but spending time in Spain as early as April, it tells you something also. Look, the Heat know they have to maximize the number 10 pick. Whether it's a trade, more likely whether it's a selection, and that means literally opening their eyes to the entire world, and I think that's what we've seen.
0: And and you just mentioned it too. What are the merits of trading that pick, or, or maybe packaging it with another player? Because, I mean, I feel like they're in win now mode. Do they really have time to groom a rookie and, and bring him along? Uh, but no, at the same time, I, you I, know, the...
1: I think you I think you sort of answer your own question because of that. Because you could say, hey, a Kelly Oubre, you know, two, three years down the road might become more of a complete player. A Stanley Johnson might become more complete. Mm-hmm. One of the foreign players might not come over for a year. That's a risk also as far as waiting for someone. But if you, if you package and you move up to for someone, uh, again, we could talk later about contract situation with Hassan Whiteside and where that leads down the road. But if you could package your pick in one of your big men and get a, you know, get maybe a Willie Cauley-Stein who's ready defensively or go to the top for Carl Anthony Towns or Virgil Okafor in a the package, then you're going to get a ready player even though it's a young player, mm-hmm. a player who's been through the NCAA tournament grind who has shown you they can play in big moments. So trading up and, and, and making more of the draft doesn't mean you're necessarily developing a player. I think if the heat trade up in the draft, It'll be for one of the more polished prospects who they then can say, this player will be a member of the top seven of our rotation.
0: And and now Miami uh, will, will have to forfeit a first-round pick either next year, uh, it remains top ten protected, or the following year when it would be unprotected. Uh, but what is the future for the the Heat's first-round draft picks? Because well, you know, Riley also sent out smart- two more, yeah.
1: That's why we're talking about this pick being so meaningful, because there's not a lot of future first-round picks. You know, yeah. Everyone thinks, oh, we dodged the bullet with the Sixers. No, that obligation's still in place. Same thing next year. 2016 top 10 protected. The, the thought is the Heat will be back in the playoffs. They'll give something in the late teens, early 20s. If not, it's totally unprotected in 2017. And what people are forgetting, the Heat then owe a 2018 or 19 first-round pick to mm-hmm. Phoenix that's yep. only protected top seven and an unprotected 2021 first-round pick to Phoenix. So the Heat owe first-round picks, three of them, between now and 2021, all the more reason to make something more of this because of what they did in this pick in the LeBron sign-and-trade in 2010. Remember, the Philadelphia obligation started with Cleveland for the sign-and-trade deal in 2010, went to Minnesota when Cleveland picked up Kevin Love, went to Philadelphia when Philadelphia traded Thaddeus Young. So you have that part of the obligation. Then you have the two future first-round picks the Phoenix McGordon Rogan. So we have that obligation. That's why they better find someone now because they won't be finding a lot in the near future.
0: Right, right. And then, and then on on one hand, uh, you you would think that that starting five is is kind of set in place. They have a good rotation. Maybe uh, if they do draft a rookie, maybe he won't play as much. But at the same time. Uh, you know, maybe like three of those starters, Wade, Dang, and Dragage could could all theoretically, you know, opt out and and, and not be with the Heat. Uh, wh- what is the current situation with Dwayne Wade? Do you have a feeling one way or another that he yeah, will Dwayne, opt in Dwayne, or Dwayne out?
1: Dwayne Wade, you know, kids, keep your number three jerseys. Dwayne Wade's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Wade could opt out for, for safety's sake. Let's look; he has one year left on his deal. What he could do is say, hey, I'm going to do the same thing again, a one year deal with a one year option. Give himself another year of injury protection. That makes all the sense in the world. Or he might say to the heat, hey, you're going to be in a short term financial position with all the contracts and with Goran's deal. I'll take a longer three, four year deal at lower money, spread the money out over a few years to help you now. So if you see Dwayne Wade opting out, don't think the sky is falling. It'll be nothing more than it was last year when he opted out, also. He's a Heat lifer. He'll be back. That's not an issue. As you mentioned with Rodgers, the fact that Pat Riley gave up two future first-round picks, there is no way he's letting him walk. <laughs> you don't give up two future first-rounders and go, yeah, that's too much money. Yeah, right. we can't make it work. He's staying. The wild part of the three you mentioned is Luwell Dang. Obviously, he might not have been used the way he wanted this past season. He has reasonable money. And again, it gets interesting there. While the Heat are limited in their money, while he doesn't have bird rights, he can opt out. He can take 20% raises on his current deal from the Heat for up to a four-year deal. So there's a chance Lou I could tell the Heat, "Hey, I'm going to opt out, but I'll do a four-year, 40 million, 42, 44 million dollar deal. Again, I'll spread the money and give you security." It gets interesting for the Heat, but it's also not end of the world. You know, if you're asking me about the odds, I would say the odds are pretty close that that we know for sure that Rodgers and Wade are coming back. It might be a hundred percent that all three are coming
0: back. And does it benefit uh, the Heat that Deng signed a multi-year contract? Because they also have Hassan Whiteside uh, not this season to deal with, but next season, I and mean, they're well, going to have to no bid with other the teams. Do,
1: they're They're yeah. going to look at the number that's like half for twenty sixteen. And they know that they have no bird rights or no special way besides early bird rights. That's only about $6 million. That's not enough for Hassan. And they will put aside a war chest. They'll, they'll do like we all do, our discretionary savings account. And they will put aside the amount of money in cap space that it takes to resign, in their view, on the upside, on the largest end for Hassan Whiteside. And then if they have to scrimp for a little more, they can always trade a player or shave some salary. But I am sure Pat Riley will cover himself unless, and this is the caveat, they decide that, hey, in a trade, they can get a player similar who costs less, which is why I mentioned earlier if you trade us on Whiteside and that number 10 pick, might that get one of the Okafer or Carl Anthony Town teams to say, hey, we'd rather have Whiteside. We have the ample space going forward, like the Lakers, like the Knicks. We can make this deal, and then the Heat can get a center on a rookie scale contract that they can control for up to four years. That's where that part of the equation gets interesting,
0: right? And because I'm I'm thinking way way back, uh, the time when when the Heat were basically forced to trade Ike Austin for uh, for Brent, Berry, for Brent uh, and Barry, and I think correct. because they were they were afraid that they weren't going to be able to to, to match uh, outside offers is, is anything like that possible, maybe a mid-season trade? Because I know Heat fans don't uh, want uh, to lose Whiteside.
1: Between now and next February's trading deadline, there's all kinds of time to get that sorted out. But you're right. The draft is part one of that equation. Can they do it then and get a rookie sale guy? The uh, off-season, signing trades for free agents, is that the time that they can do it, where they take one of their bigger contracts? say, a Luol Deng, and they throw in Hassan Whiteside, and they get a center that is more cost-effective down the road, that's possible. Then there's next February's trading deadline. But again, how does this play out with Hassan? Does he have a similar season? Does he get into more scuffles and kerfuffles, where it winds up that he's not a max player, that he's maybe two-thirds of the max or half of the max, or other teams start to figure him out, and the Heat can say safely, hey... He's a nice piece to have. He's not going to cost us the max. It's going to work after all. Surely they keep in touch with his agent throughout the process. They figure out how it plays out. Right now he looks like one of the NBA's franchise centers for the next decade. But again, we only saw a three- or four-month blip of that. I think the Heat needs to get more of a read
0: how does that uh, tv deal that, that kicks up uh, kicks up next season affect the heat salary cap because you know they have they're going to have dragic at at or near the max they already have bosch at the max then they got to deal with wade's contract situation now dang uh, you know it's kind of a domino effect how, how does that new deal affect the cap well, for the uh, heat Again,
1: you know, everyone talks about the new tv money in 2016 but let, let's be honest. When we look at the 2016 money right now, this coming year, the salary cap is projected for next season, 2015-2016, is 67 million. The following season, when everyone says, "Oh, the TV money is going to change everything," mm-hmm. the, the salary cap is looking at about 89 million. But still, like you said, when you start factoring in Chris Bosh at 20 million. And Goran Rogers possibly and, and maybe likely at 20 million. We're at 40 right. already. And you put Dwayne at 10 million. We're at 50. And if Blue Deng comes back for that year also, you're at 60. So all of a sudden, that max slot for Hassan gets very tight and very interesting. And that's even counting, not counting the, the contracts of of Josh McRoberts of maybe United Haslam coming back again. So when you figure that money in, it's going to be tight. That even with the big T V money in, eighty nine million is a huge leap from this past season's cap. Almost what, twenty seven, twenty eight million more, but it'll be very tight for the Heat. So I think they're gonna go back to being a tax team. They have to be careful for twenty sixteen. But it's not white thread just one part of that equation. It also matters how does Chris Bosch come back? What does he look like? How does Josh McRoberts come back? What does he look like? Mm-hmm. A lot of moving parts for the Heat before they get to next summer. First, they want to get through this summer.
0: Yeah, and, and in this summer, really how much... I know there's a lot of you know moving parts in place, but do they really have much cap space left over to, to get a reinforcement for the bench?
1: No, and, and that's why when you ask me about Lowell Dang and can they let him go, would do something else? The problem for the Heat right. is if Rodgers comes back, counting the money of Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade and Udonis Haslam and Josh McRoberts, they probably at best could use the mini mid level, the taxpayer mid level, a little under four million dollars to refill that spot, which is why the the dang could Dang could hold certain leverage in that situation also. That if you're asking me, well if Lual Dang walks and Goran Rogers resigns, what kind of money and who can he get? I'm saying probably the upside in small forward replacement would either be one of the draft choices, one of the players I mentioned to you at number ten, mm-hmm. James Ennis, highly unlikely. I do not believe that he is ready Or maybe for that taxpayer's mid-level, someone like Mike Dunleavy Jr.? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what you might be looking at. So You have to say to yourself, and again, this might be a debate, would I rather have Luol Deng at $10 million next year and maybe $10 million going forward? Or can you survive and buy time for one more season with someone like a Mike Dunleavy Jr., with someone like a Gerald Green from Phoenix? Those are the kind of names you'd be looking at for a replacement.
0: Oh, all right. Well, I mean, that's that was a lot to get through, and it it just started. Uh, uh, thank you again so much, Ira, for, for joining us. Um, we'll um, certainly talk before the, the draft comes up, and we'll see uh, really how, how this ever-evolving uh, landscape has changed since uh, then for and the and Heat. And as
1: you can see when we speak, it's like you know, people ask me what he's doing now. Well, based on the cap and everything else, I'm turning into an accountant right. because there was a <laughs> lot of accounting to do for the Heat. But when people go, well, what's going on with the Heat? I can honestly answer everything. It's a pretty heady time for the team right now. Appreciate the time.
0: (laughs) All right. Thank you again so much.